Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, my guest is Ernie Lechuga, who just set a new FKT on the Arkansas High Country. The former FKT was set by Ted King back in 2020, and he got a time of four days, 20 hours. Ernie was able to beat that with a time of four days and 14 hours, shaving six hours off the fastest known time. But that FKT did not come easy. Ernie had to dig deep. He battled Shermer's neck. And on this episode, he shares what it took to put together an amazing effort and ultimately walk away with a new FKT on the Arkansas High Country 1,000-mile route. If you're not familiar with Ernie, he's actually been on the podcast a couple times, so you can search through the past episodes and listen to some of them if you, if you want more Ernie after this. But listen, Ernie has been an elite cyclist for a very long time. He started a road racing career in the 90s, eventually wound up on Team Jelly Belly and raced at the highest level for a long time. After that, he found his way to Arkansas, where he now is the co-owner of LeBourne Coaching. And to boot, he's just an all-around supremely great human being. I've always enjoyed my chats with Ernie, and this one is no exception. I appreciate his openness and his candor during this interview and giving us a peek into what was going on behind the scenes and in his mind and in his body during this absolutely amazing effort. Congrats, Ernie. Well, before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank the people who make these episodes possible. We can't do it without support. And so I would like to thank our newest patrons, but unfortunately we haven't had any sign up this week. So instead, what I'd like to do is send a shout out to our longest patrons, patrons who have been with us for years. So I'm going to shout out the 10 longest sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast, uh, starting with Paul Drees. He signed up back on March 30th, 2019. And all of these are from early in 2019. So let's give a huge shout out to Paul Drees, Miles Arbor, Gaston Green, Ryan Stoyer, Kimberly Bassinger, Matt Parker, Sean Geddes, Sean Wiggins, Austin Barnett, and Michael Nospish. All of them signed up between March and May of 2019, and they've been supporting the podcast ever since. And there are many, many more who have been with us for a very long time, and we appreciate it more than I can express. We really can't do it without your support, and we appreciate all of our patrons. We do give perks. There's discounts to some amazing companies. You get some behind-the-scenes looks. You get access to the private Facebook group and other things. But we really hope the main motivation is to support this work if you can. If you find value in what we're doing here and you'd like to see these episodes keep popping up on a weekly basis, 
Throwing a couple dollars our way every month makes a huge difference. So if you'd like to find out more, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash bikes for death. All right, sports fans. Well, if you haven't signed up for the bikes for death takeover yet, what are you waiting for? Well, maybe you're waiting for us to open up a couple of car camping slash van camping slash tent camping spots. Well, if you have been, those have been sold out, but we just opened up a couple more. Uh, We were able to make some room. So if you've been on the fence and that is appealing to you, hop on those lickety split because we would love to see you at the first ever Bikes or Death Takeover. It's happening at Mulberry Gap in LSJ, Georgia from November 10th through November 13th. The weather is looking phenomenal. The stoke is high, the beer will be flowing, the bikes will be ridden, and we would love to see you there. For more information, check out the show notes, or you can head over to bikesordeath.com. Today's episode is also brought to us by Athletic Greens. I've been using Athletic Greens for a while now as a way to enhance my daily nutrition and build a better foundation for better health. With Athletic Greens, you're going to fill in your nutrient gaps. It promotes gut health and supports whole body vitality, all with AG1. All you need is one daily serving that delivers a potent blend of nine healthy products, a multivitamin, minerals, probiotics, adaptions, and more, all working together to help you feel like your healthiest self. Now, I like to take mine, if I'm at home, in a smoothie that I make every day. I'm big on smoothies, and it's easy to throw that in there, blend it up, and get all of the benefits from AG1. But if I'm bikepacking, they do make a travel pack that makes it super easy to get all of your 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced nutrients in one convenient daily serving. All you got to do is open that bad boy dump it into about eight ounces of water and enjoy. And as you know, when we're out bikepacking, it can be very difficult to get the nutrients that you need. And this is one very easy way to make that happen when you're out bikepacking. Now, Athletic Greens is making it easy for you to try their product and offering you a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five travel packs. To unlock that offer, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death and take control of your health today. And also, I want to remind y'all, if you haven't picked yourself up a pair of Ombras yet, you are missing out. They are the world leader in armless sunglasses. Sounds weird, I know, but don't just trust me. Trust legends like Sarah Swallow, John Watson, Ultra Romance. You'll see these armless sunglasses dangling around their necks or on their faces and That's not by accident. These are amazing sunglasses, and Ombras is making it easy for you to own a pair and support your favorite podcasts all at the same time. How are they doing that, you ask? Well, Ombras is offering you $20 off any pair of their sunglasses. All you have to do is use code BOD20 at checkout. You get $20 off a pair of sunglasses, and Ombras will send Bikes for Death $20 as a thank you. So this is a win-win situation. 
To check out their shades, go to www.ombraz.com and don't forget to use the promo code BOD20 at checkout to get yourself $20 off a fresh pair of shades and send your favorite podcast a fresh $20 bill. All right, everyone, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited about this chat with Ernie. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But first, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. More death. Bikes. More death. Podcast. I appreciate you hopping on the line, man. It's good to see you. No worries. Sorry about me just like being so like just out of it with uh, giving you a timeline. And because I literally like it's been uh, all things are happening up here in like Oswald, um, Bentonville. I mean, we have Big Sugar coming up. And so a bunch of old friends are coming in. Yeah. With me being able to just barely move my hands, I pick up my fork and I just drop it. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do anything. So, How much weight have you lost? You look like you've lost weight. Thanks, bro. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> you used to no, be I, fat. Um, now you're looking good. I am, right? So, no, I just, I mean, January, I started taking care of myself. Um, so, I don't think I've lost much weight. I think I've gained a little bit of muscle, which is, so I've stayed the same weight-wise. I have lost fat. Basically. Yeah, so, yeah. Leaning up, but- getting fit. In your in your face though, I just wonder from the race. Like I bet you you dropped some pounds during the race. You had to have. Yeah, I probably. Um, I'm sure I did. I probably lost like maybe ten pounds. I mean, it's it's four and a half days of riding, so you're gonna lose something. But yeah, you're for eating sure. like junk food all day long, just greasy food from uh, the gas station. So you get you put it back on really quick, and then you got like gummy bears and all kinds of. Food sweets yeah you're packing on a lot of junk food to counteract any of that good goodness that you're doing i mean that's so cool to hear that you kind of started taking a little bit better care of yourself it's um i'm in a very similar place like five months ago i um i just made a major life change with uh, my diet my exercise kind of like you said taking care of myself um i've lost like 13 pounds and really if uh it's it's been a you know i changed my relationship with alcohol and just my diet and everything and just feeling a lot better you know so i think you know what you hit it on the head when you said change your relationship with alcohol like i was it's easy to forget about loving yourself right and just to kind of go with the flow and use use the bottle for like or <laughs> to uh to uh, smooth things out in life, right? So, but when you start loving yourself, you start realizing, hey, let me really work on myself, take care of my body, and not use alcohol to drown stuff out. And then it hurts for a while, a few weeks, but then your body gets used to it and it just loves you back. You know, it's like <laughs> taking care of you, sleeping better, 
Um, you're waking up and you're doing stuff and you're working out better. So it all, um, yeah, it, it pays off to take care of yourself and love on yourself for sure. And not just like, taking care of yourself. You got to really love yourself. It's what I learned in this last experience. Right? So, in this, uh, in what experience in the race or just yeah, during this the race? Last... <laughs> exactly. During the race. Like, uh, I learned that I haven't been very kind to myself in a very, very long time. <laughs> yeah. Can you expand on that? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, like, like I say, we, we fall, you know, guilty to life and we think that we don't have time and sometimes it's just an excuse and we just, you know, we, we, uh, we just make excuses not to, not to dig into ourselves and then we get lazy. So while I was out there racing, it, um, I knew I was already taking care of myself. I started two weeks before unbound and then like not drinking any alcohol whatsoever. Uh, and then I did pretty well at unbound. I got third in the three fifty. So I was like, Whoa, this, this thing works. Like, like if I didn't know, like, Oh, wow. Like, so, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to train for Silk Road, still non drink. So I was traveling with our junior development program to mountain bike races and just like really holding back, not having one drink whatsoever. So it was about 20 weeks of not drinking before Silk Road. Um, Cause I really wanted to do well there. Unfortunately we had bad luck, you know, I had stomach bug and you know, we had to pull out of that. Um, so going into high country, uh, the, uh, I already had those, those better patterns in my life. So still having the better patterns doesn't mean that you're loving on yourself. Cause when you're out there and you can be so negative with yourself that if you're just negative inside, it doesn't matter how good you are outside, negative shit happens to you, right? So learning to love myself out there was to try to change every negative thought to a positive thought. It took me a while. <laughs> it took me a while to get my mind. So, but, you know, you know, you take care of your body, take care of, you know, of your, you know, just mental health, learning stuff. And then you take care of your soul by loving on yourself. You know, one thing that I've some clarity that I've had in my personal life is as I've uh, I haven't quit drinking, but I I was drinking way, way too much uh, through the pandemic and a divorce and all the you know life stuff that happens. I leaned into alcohol, man. I leaned into drinking too much. And it just kind of like you said, bump, uh, smooths a lot of those bumps in the road. And, you know, with cutting way, way back on alcohol and just getting to more of like a, a social drinker type uh, situation, um, I, I was able to realize how how I wasn't even being honest with myself, you know, like I wasn't even checked in enough with myself or present enough or able to be in a place where I could even be honest with myself. And if I can't be honest with myself, how can I be honest with the people in my life, you know? And so it's been a really big, um, like learning process for me too, because first it's kind of like you're saying, I mean, for me, it was a similar thing where you get, you kind of, start taking care of the physical, the getting the sleep, you know, not drinking too much, exercising. And then like, for me, at least, you know, through that, I gained some clarity. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm in a better place to where I can actually start to work on the inside, you know, what's going on in my head. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And then there's like a trifecta, right? Is uh, you got to take care of the soul as well. Like I said, and, um, because the mental game, like, 
learning stuff, meeting people, doing these podcasts that you do. And you, like you learn so much from people and like, and you just take that energy, right? And you kind of, and, and, and you live with it and you fly with it. And that's why I do these podcasts so people can hear about all these awesome experiences and maybe they, we can all grow from them. So I'm sure you're definitely growing from all these experiences. So that's the mental part of it. But then um, something really cool that happened is like, I, I used to, I had testicular cancer when I was growing up racing. And um, I got to interact with God at the time, right? When I found that I had cancer, I was racing professionally in Europe and then came back and I knew I was going to be fine. And I knew that, you know, that God was there with me walking, you know, walking that, that's that line, that fine line of, am I going to make it or not during cancer? But I was like a hundred percent sure that I was going to make it. I had the faith that I was going to do it. Right. And he was right there with me. So something, um, I lost that. I lost that connection with God and doing the high country this year, man, I was able to find him again. And it was an incredible journey. Well, man. Okay. We're going to skip way ahead. That was one of my last questions, but actually someone messaged me and said, uh, that at the finish line, you said you found God. And I, I didn't know if that was a literal or figurative state, you know, I, I didn't have the context for that, but, but yeah, go ahead and share. I mean, uh, what, what that was like for you, what happened? Um, like I said, uh, as well earlier, it's like about loving yourself, right? That that's what I that's what God told me. Like, dude, you gotta just learn to love yourself because if you don't love yourself, you have there's no way you can love anybody, right? You can fake loving people, you can go through life thinking you're loving people, you're a great giver, but what do you ever give yourself? So he was like, This race is for you to learn to give to yourself and to be kind to yourself. You know, like, okay, and this is happening while I'm writing. I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and like out of the blue, and I, I kind of, I kind of wanted that, right? I wanted that experience. I wanted a spiritual experience that I've never had before. I was just thinking, looking at these bikepacking races, and they were, they were almost just like a means to an end for a result, but it wasn't a means to an end to what it did, you know, for the soul and for me, right? And for the, and for yeah, and just for myself. Um, I've always thought about, well, I'm going to do this for this person. I'm going to do this for that person. I'm going to do this for, you know, my community. So it was never like, Hey, I'm doing this for me. So that's, that's one goal that I had. And I think through that experience is when, you know, when you start loving on yourself and thinking of yourself, that's when God pops up and said, Hey dude, I've been here all the time, man. You just forgot about me. (laughs) So being out there, it's, it, you know, basically start the race. And it's just a couple of uh, just two or three riders that were in kind of in the front, you know, you know, doing the whole swaparoo and who's in the front and uh, the uh, I was going to say dick testing, but it doesn't sound very good in here. So you might have to edit that. Dick <laughs> 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 Sorry. Oh, <dude. laughs> uh, yeah. Who's who's got the bigger dick? Who's got the bigger dick out there? So I was like, <laughs> this is dumb. I don't know why I'm doing this. So in that moment, like, you know, once I got through that and I was like, just let people go and do your thing. Um, it's just like, he was there again. And he, he, you know, I mean, I, I've been asking for this for a while. So, and it's like, it's like, Hey, I'm going to do well. I'm going to connect. And as a matter of fact, on my way down, I start, I, you know, I listened to this, uh, uh, audio book, um, 
and I'm going to forget the name of it now, but I'll hold on a second. I'll, I'll, I'll get it for you. Um, and so I was listening to this, to this book and um, the, uh, and that's exactly what it said. It was like, he was talking through me through other means and saying, you know, if you like, if you want this experience, you got to really want it. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I really want it. So from the beginning, the race started and he's there just telling me, Hey man, this is your race. I've gifted you this race. This is your race to lose, not to win. He's like, it's already given. Like you already thought about it. You planned it out. You know exactly how many hours you want to do. So because of the experience I have in the race, it was like, I, I know I can make that happen, but how negative you are, that's when you lose it. How bad you get when shit hits the fan, you know, uh, and, and then you're not kind to yourself, right? So that's, that's when you, you uh, that's when you can lose the race. So I was like, okay, so I got to work on myself a lot. <laughs> I got to work on how I'm talking to myself. So um and this is knowledge that we all have but sometimes we need a little nudge from someone else you know what i mean <laughs> absolutely yeah so anyways you looking for that book yeah i can't find it uh, <laughs> of course not gonna find it right you now. can send it to me i'll put it in the show notes I, I'll, I'll do that yeah yeah i can put it in the show notes i'm happy for you man i mean i think uh, i really appreciate you sharing that um because it would be easy for someone to just watch your dot and be like, oh, Ernie, Ernie's a beast. You know, I mean, he's just a stud. He's a he's an ex-pro racer and he owns a coaching thing and he's a beast. But do no one is immune to this life, you know, and and I think from what I've learned about you, um, you're a giving person. You just you have a big heart and you I bet you give it away to everybody. And when you have a big heart and you're always giving away, sometimes it's hard to uh, remember to just like take care care of yourself, you know, and it sounds like, it sounds like that's what you've been trying to do, which is, which is important, man. It's like, we all know that we all know that we have to take care of ourselves, but, um, it can be hard, right? It can be hard if we're, I mean, if we're drinking too much or if we're giving too much and we're spread too thin, like how much room are you actually leaving for yourself and, and how much are you actually prioritizing it? And then once you do prioritize yourself, are you willing to do the fucking work? You know, are you willing to look at the ugly parts of yourself? Are you willing to be honest about how you haven't been good with your friendships or your relationships or, you know, yeah. whatever the case may be, um, you know, that, that takes some hard talks with yourself and are you willing to do that? But <laughs> you know, I, I'm happy for you, man. I can tell you're, you're doing well and that makes me happy. And that's what the, this style of racing does for me, right? It, it, it does all that. It makes you face yourself, right? It's out there. Um, Absolutely. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no one else. <laughs> no one else. And then even there's other people around, it would be, you know, you're still in your head. I'd like to, um, uh, you've been on the podcast a couple times and, uh, so people are probably familiar with you, but just so this can be a standalone episode, I'd like to put a little more respect on your name, not that getting an FKT on Arkansas high country doesn't do that, but you've been, uh, you've raced and competed in cycling at a very high level for gosh, probably most of your life. Um, take us back to the road cycling days and kind of give us a picture into what, uh, what your life was back in your twenties. Yeah. So I got the opportunity to race on, uh, one of, Amer uh, one of the America's you know, best 
professional teams, Mercury um, and Jelly Belly. So both of those teams had amazing riders on it. Um, and that was back in like 90, between 97 and like 2004. So um, I, I got a chance to race in Europe with these teams, you know, and just all over the world. So um, I've, uh, I have, let me see. Um, so getting in the pan cave is really not that difficult for me, right? Because you, you go and race with these teams and they put you in the front. They're like, all right. I was a domestic. I was a really good domestic. I think I was. And he was like, get in the front and just go. <laughs> So yeah, so I got to uh, I got to live it up with those it, for, with that world, and it was in, it was incredible. It's fun to I was researching for this episode, you know, and I was looking for like Ernie's re- like bike. I just typed in like Ernie Lechuga race results, and it went back all the way to the '90s. You know, you can read articles about you winning the uh, Nevada Classic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's some good quotes from you back in back in the day. I mean, but you were a legit a legit stud on the, on the road bike, you know, no doubt about it. And then, yeah, I know you got testicular cancer and then like fought your way back from that. Um, what, what was, why did you ultimately retire from road cycling? What, I mean, you were, yeah, you were competing at a high level. So what, why did you ultimately decide to walk away? Um, so, um, it was because I honestly, um, I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> I stopped. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. I just felt like I wasn't there, there, there yet. It was, I was in a funk where I didn't, like I said, love myself. Uh, and I didn't think it was going to make a difference and I just stopped racing. I mean, yeah, I guess it was time for a change. That season in your life was over, obviously. So now you're doing LeBorn coaching, uh, what would, how did you transition from road cycling into LeBorn coaching? Is that, is that what you went to after that? So, um, no, I went from racing on Jelly Belly, which is the last team I was racing for. Um, Orbea is based out of Arkansas and he, uh, the, there was this really small company at the time and they were, they had, I think they've been going on for a couple of years in the U S um, and a lot of South American, you know, interest was they, they were coming up here buying product taking them back down there and there was no one that knew uh that knew spanish in the company so the owner of the company the u.s owner of the company said hey you want to come work for us you know uh we're hoping to take south america territory um so he invited me to come to arkansas and be in little rock and work for for Bea for a little bit um then he wanted me to become a, a better salesperson and he put me in a retail shop he owned the retail shop as well. So I got into the retail store. I just love hanging out and talking bikes with people instead of being in a cubicle and taking orders. So I, you know, I, I wanted to share my story and I wanted to share what I've learned across the years in cycling. And I think being around people in the retail part of it was, was uh, what I really enjoyed. That's so funny. I was in the retail business and uh, I owned a golf store for a while and, I found it to be just terrible. I hated it because <laughs> like, I just, I always felt trapped still. Like you're just like in a box and you just wait for someone to walk through the door and hope that they do and hope that they're like, you know, not shitty. I don't know. You guys never play golf with these people. So yeah, I would play golf with some of them. 
Yeah. Well, that's what I love. So, you know, because I share my story, I teach them something or coach them. And then like I go out and write, like, oh, you guys do listen. You guys, you know, and so I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. You make that connection. I think I just wasn't passionate about golf. I was just an (laughs) entrepreneur and a guy one day was like, Hey, I'm selling my golf store. And I looked at the books and I was like, sure, I'll buy that. Like, whatever. I just, (laughs) I just, I didn't have any business owning a golf store. Probably that was part of it. That's funny. Were you a golfer or how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, I was just like a recreational golfer. Like legitimately I was getting my real estate license and I was just going into the local golf shop to, I don't know, buy some balls or something. And I become pretty good friends with the owner. He's like, hey, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm like, I need a ball. Why don't I just buy the whole store? Yeah, because that's how I roll. I don't, I don't, I I really do need one. Oh, cancer, bro. Yeah, you can't have that. You can't have that one. I'm, I'm holding on to mine. I don't. (laughs) I don't want to buy that one. I'm literally holding on to it right now. Like you can't have it. (laughs) I don't want yours. (laughs) You can't see what's going on down here. (laughs) So, yeah. Cheers. When, uh, when did you start LeBorn coaching? So, um, LeBorn coaching started about, uh, 12 years ago. Um, so when I was at the retail shop, Scotty came into the picture and she walks up all beat up from trying to do mountain bike riding. Um, and I asked her like, Hey, why don't you get on a road bike instead? So, uh, so she got on a road bike and that's when I met her. You guys have probably heard the story on one on your podcast. And then she, whenever I, I started working with her for about a year and she got pretty good and she just asked straight up, asked me, like, why don't you do the, this for people? Like you're a pretty good coach. And I was working with two or three people already, just kind of teaching them fundamentals uh, and just some basic training programs. So she was the one that basically pushed me to start LeBorn coaching. But if it wasn't for her, it wouldn't even happen. So LeBorn coaching is uh, Lechuga Wilborn. That's the two names put together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started it then. And then, so she was like, I think we could do great. And now we're 12 years in, um, you know, helping people grow. We love it. Yeah. So like, I'm curious coming from a road background and now you're, you know, an adventure endurance athlete, cyclist, um, has your coaching model changed? Uh, is it pretty much the same? Like, I'm, I'm curious how you transition from, you know, being very road centric and how that applies to, um, being able to coach endurance, endurance athletes. Um, so it's about riding a bike, right? So, I mean, and everyone has their own, um, I guess, way of training, even, uh, the, uh, Meaning like every ultra endurance athlete, if you go look at their background, they do something completely different. True. So um, how they get that fix and that, that time to, you know, to train, um, it's just, it's just a, such a personal thing. So Sofian, for example, he's a bike messenger and he's on his bike 60 miles a day, you know, probably sprinting as hard as he could, you know? So, um, so how do you train a guy like that? Like, and then he just rides all day long. Yeah. <laughs> sleep. Um, so everybody's different. So we try, what we do is we try to figure out the person where they are in life. What's, uh, like how much time they have to train and then just, just kind of help them out with that. And that's kind of what I do. Like there's some days where I get to ride a whole, a whole lot. There's some days where I don't get to ride at all or weeks that I don't ride at all. Um, but 
with our junior program that we have, the development program, I ride with them usually. So I've, I've had to get a little stronger or else I can't keep up. <laughs> be a little more disciplined. So this would be like a road, a uh, junior development road team? No, it's gravel? a mountain bike team. Oh, it's mountain bike. Yeah. Oh, know, sweet. It's crazy, yeah. I, d- I don't ride mountain bikes downhill fast. I think you keep up with them on the hills. <laughs> right, right. You're like, I'll see you when I'm passing you on the hill. That's funny. <laughs> so one thing, man, I I have uh I'd really like to do a bike fit. And I'm I'm really curious. I know that you you're the bike fitter at LeBorn coaching, right? Like that's yes, one of yeah. your primary roles. Um how important is that? And and what kinds of things are you able to accomplish for people through a bike fit? So just like the coaching part, like they usually getting a lot of feedback from the person on what the goals are, you know, and what the problems are and just start problem solving on, you know, what the issues are. So if it's foot pain, if it's saddle pain, if it's back pain, if it's endurance based. Um, so listening to the, to the, to the athlete, to the person that's getting fitted. And then from there, making my judgments from just my experiences and just seeing if we can make a difference, right? And I tell everybody, hey, if I can't fix you, I'll first go out and make myself hurt the way you're hurting to try and, to try and fix you. And if that doesn't happen, I give you your money back. <laughs> so it's a, it's a guarantee that I'm going to make, I'm going to do the best I can to fix you. And if I can't fix you, you might as well just put a bullet in it. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> Might as well just burn your bike. Like <laughs> burn, yeah. start a burn pile in your backyard. Like you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. No, Man. but it's very, yeah, it's very important to have a bike fit. I mean, because when you get out there and you ride forever, something's going to bother you. Right. Or, or something mentally is going to mess with you. Um, so knowing that you're probably fit, there's no more doubt in that okay it's probably my bike doing it to me or if it is your bike you know that's hurting you then then you got to change some stuff but um yeah but when you know your bike's good to go and you're fit and you put time on it and then when you hurt then you focus on getting rid of the hurt right so for example you you've been fitted you're probably you're properly fitted your knee starts hurting in the middle of an event and you knew your bike was fitted properly like you don't use that as an excuse of like if maybe my bike and you start messing with it you start figuring out what you're doing to your foot on how you're placing your foot you know to make a difference you know i think lachlan morton did a really good job at, at proving that i mean that guy's been riding for miles and miles and miles and miles and then he's doing the alt tour at the tour de france and then his knee starts hurting and he just rides in the sandal and it just makes it work so it's just changing the way the body was positioned on that pedal strip at the time that you uh you know you learn to play with without having the doubt if my bike correctly fit. Yeah. I really want to come see you, man. Uh, and let, I want to get a fit because my my hands are the thing, my Achilles heel. I just said it on a podcast I was recording yesterday. Like I've just always, always, always had hand pain. And I just feel like if I get rid of that hand pain, it would, it would be a game changer because it's what you're doing is like you're removing things to worry about, right? Like the less you have to worry about your gear and your bike fit and, oh no, are my hands going to hurt or whatever? Like you're just removing potential problems and you're allowing your mind to be more free. You know, now you can focus on the task at hand instead of being worried about all these externalities that could be going on. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh one other thing that i really 
uh, tell my clients is that we're creatures of habit. So even though you can have the perfect bike fit for what you're doing, if you go to a habit and you know you don't know what you're doing, you don't have that body awareness of that habit, then you're going to be uncomfortable anyway. So you got to learn with either time on the bike or someone explaining to you the different postures and positions you can be on a bike, you know, uh, to be able to change the positions whenever you start getting uncomfortable, right? Like sometimes because of a habit, we don't know we're doing it and we're putting ourselves in the spot for a really long time. And if you don't have that feeling, sometimes it's just too late before you can come back from that hole. Like you were saying, then you're not focused on the task at hand. You're focused on how much you're hurting. Yeah. So it's really important to have body awareness, um, but also to know, okay, well, how is my habit causing me, you know, from riding further? So it could be as easy as like, hey, Patrick, just tilt your pelvis a little bit more and your hands are going to go away. Your hands are going to be so much better. They're going to be more relaxed. Right. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it's not the bike fit. It's fitting the teaching the person and fitting, you know, fitting the person to the bike as well. You know, when your bike's already within the range, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense, total sense. I mean, yeah, you can position your body on the bike. I mean, with your elbows, how much do you bend them and how straight is your back and how, you know, over bent over are you? I mean, there's a lot of ways to position yourself on the bike. I have I have one more question about bike fitting. I, I This is something I've been curious about lately. Um, it's been on my mind, like... I, it feels like to me, and you're you're in this space, so you'll be able to answer better. But like, it seems like, and I don't have any evidence for this, but <laughs> most bike fitters are probably like fitting people to go fast. You know, the triathlon, the bike racing, whatever it may be. From your perspective, in your opinion, is it important to have a bike fitter that understands the endurance aspect versus like trying to go fast, or or yeah, is that important? I think it's everyone needs help, right? It, bike fitting did, did start for aerodynamics, right? That's kind of where it started. Like, how can I fit you for you to be the most comfortable and the most aero? Like, that was, that's what everybody wants, wants to go faster, right? Um, so that's because of triathletes and because of, um, you know, competition, people wanting to go fast. You start, you start, um, yeah, you start fitting people that way and then all of a sudden the person that just got into cycling doesn't want to look like he's a beginner so he wants to get fitted like he's a professional right so then you fit him like he's a professional so yeah comfort is definitely more important than speed but it started with i want to go fast first and then it's evolved into like let's be comfortable we can ride all day long you know because before anybody else anybody pointed it out you just thought you had a hurt on your bike all the time like when there was no bike fitting back then, you was like, oh, I think this is right. And then you had your seat too low or too high or whatever that was. And you just put up with it. But now there's that it's a, it's at the forefront of everyone now that, um, that everybody, you know, wants to get, needs to get a bike fit, wants to get a bike fit and they know about it. We hear it over and over. I mean, uh, like you found happiness and peace on this race and, uh, I mean, there's a lot of like Sofian is a great example. He seems to always be in a good headspace. Lael seems to always be smiling. And, uh, you know, if, if you're comfortable, you're happy. If you're happy, you're enjoying, you're having fun. You're actually having fun doing what you're doing. 
to me, on some level, it has to equal speed. You know, you're just your whole body is just freer. You're just feel more uh, fluid. Yeah, I mean, something's gonna go wrong when you ride that far, right? Yeah. Um, for for I've always experienced that. So like the saddle discomfort, which is really bad this last time, um, and the uh, yeah neck neck issues and stuff like that. But like, how long it takes for you to get to that point? The further you push it away the better yeah yeah the better it is right because something's gonna get get uncomfortable eventually yeah absolutely over a thousand miles it has to (laughs) so how many times have you have you attempted the high country now so the high country this was my fourth start um the first year we did it i was as a pair scotty and i did it just the itt uh and then the second year is we did it as well as an itt um yeah. And then last year I started and I had some kidney failure. The doctor said, I think he was just lying. Uh, <laughs> my kidneys apparently shut down. So, uh, last year, so I had to pull out. I went into, uh, to the ER room after riding like 30 hours of cramping through the night. And then I get to, uh, I get to the ER room and I was talking to the nurse and she's like, I've been cramping and my wife's off the front. I need to go catch it. Can you get me some IVs? <laughs> and they're like, absolutely. And she was awesome. She's like, we're going to put two bags in you and then you can take off and just go catch everybody. Nice. But the doc, the ER doctor had different plans. He walks in after they've done labs. Anytime you go to the ER, they do lab results, lab work. He, uh, he's like, dude, you're about to die. These numbers that I'm seeing like I've never seen them unless they're in a dead person or someone that's getting dialysis. And I was like, Ooh, that doesn't sound good. So when can I leave? <laughs> so, so he got pissed. He got really mad at me for, he thought I was joking. So he sent me from Mountain View to tell Mount, Mount Ida to, um, to Little Rock via ambulance, just getting juiced up with some IVs. Wow. Yeah, that was a really, I mean, it was scary for you, but part of the interesting part of that story is Scotty was doing so well, you were trying to kind of hide, if I remember correctly, you were somewhat trying to hide what was going on with you so that she could focus on what she was doing. And meanwhile, you're like, almost dead. (laughs) I wasn't dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that ER doctor thought you were. I I was thinking, I was like, come on, just let me go. He was great. You have no idea. This is not a joke. And I was like, okay, I believe you now. (laughs) (laughs) Did, do you believe him now? Well, I didn't want to (laughs) die. Yeah. I had to believe him. So that's why I stopped. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so in your, in your mind, you were just like, I mean, and you, you probably, I mean, you come from professional racing where they probably like you finish a race and they pump you full of IVs and you feel great and you go back out the next day and do it again. Right. So is that kind of what you were thinking? What are you talking about? The Ivy thing? No. Oh, it was back in the day? Uh, <laughs> 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 they pump y'all full of everything. That's, like, that's illegal. <laughs> you want some med- Is it really? Yes. IVs are illegal, and I don't know about road cycling. Yes. And like, it's no needle. Oh, really? I, dude, I honestly didn't know that. I wasn't even talking about steroids or EPO or anything. I just, I just, I just said ass- IVs. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything. 
I, Lance is talking in my ear. Yeah, what's that, Lance? Uh, yeah, he says no EPO, no IVs in road cycling. Got it. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. So how many... One interesting thing about the high country race is that every two years, it starts in a different city that's on the race route. So how many different cities have you started in? And how has that changed your approach, if at all, to the race? Um, great question. Yeah. So the started in Little Rock. So it had three years in Little Rock. Then it moved to Fayetteville. It had two years in Fayetteville. And then this is the first year that it started in Hot Springs. Um, and then have done the course four times. Uh, I, we, we talked about doing a really fast time. Scotty and I were talking about it and like, the best place to start was in hot springs because you would get the really difficult parts out of the way. Difficult meaning like less, uh, less distance to resupply and a lot of climbing. All right. Okay. So, um, so if we were going to go fast, we would go there and the race happened to start this year there. So we kind of had a plan already and you know, what, how we could do it and make the race, you know, get a really good time. Um, so that's the place to start. If you want to make a really, you know, dent on that record, you just, you go there, hot springs and you start. And historically you've been able to choose if you want to go clockwise or counterclockwise. Did they keep that this year? Yeah, they did. They kept that this year. They, okay. um, yeah, you get a chance to choose, which is cool. You just. Yeah, it's just another fun dynamic. Yeah, it's just another. I, I, I love the Arkansas high country. There's a lot of little uh, interesting twists that just make it fun. And it's fun from a, a, a perspective of a dot watcher, but also it allows the racer to pick their own poison and, and come up with your own strategy. And it's just one more layer to, you know, an adventure. It's like, hey, man, it's on you. You you pick the route, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, so uh, y'all had already done an ITT and you already kind of were familiar with, with that route. Um, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Let's see where, yeah, I mean, I'm I made gonna... some notes. Like I, I went back and just did notes and my goal time was four days, eight hours. For this year? For this year. I mean, that, wow. I got four days, 14 hours. So yeah, man, what slowed you down? Dang. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Freaking Ernie. You could do better than that. So let's see uh, where are we at. <laughs> All right, let's get it. So let's talk about your your training plan. I mean, how, yeah, dude, you're a freaking coach. You got all the equipment. You got all the tricks. What it, what is what is training for this race in particular look like for you? Um. So it's it pretty much the same every week, right? Riding with the kiddos and then just trying to add which is three kills, meaning the, the junior development program. And then uh, adding a few hours here and there on top of that. So we have probably Tuesdays and Tuesdays and Thursdays was like interval work with them, just trying to keep up with them. I was getting my intensity. Uh, long ride on the weekend, uh, just one really long ride, probably four to six hours. Um, and then the rest of the week was just an hour here, an hour there, you know, sometimes, you know, it wasn't as consistent because of work and bike fitting and stuff. Um, but for the most part, it, that was about the average for, 
uh, for the whole year, this year. So about eight, 15 hours a week, something like that. It's not as much as somebody would think probably, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and, and it, it, I'm glad you threw that in there, like your work. I mean, you're a, you're a father, um, you've got a business, you're not a professional. I mean, this isn't your only job to go race bikes. So, I mean, you're, you're just fitting in training where you can, when you can, just like anybody else. So exactly. What about off the bike training? Are you doing what anything off the bike? Yeah, so like we, I got in deep into meditation and just and breath work. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, I got on this morning routine back in January, um, and then it was just the fundamentals, right? Push ups, sit ups, you know, squats without weights, just to keep the body uh, strong. Well, I wasn't really going to the gym just because I just didn't have the time, honestly, um, to add that into the equation. But uh, if we do, like if we do just body weight exercises, that, that makes a big difference. So an hour, about an hour and a half of meditation and just body weight exercises in the morning was what, you know, I think has kept me in shape, upper body a little. And then, you know, the meditation spiritually. That's really interesting. Um, I'm curious how, like, I'm, I wanted to know, like, how you train your mind. I mean, because again, like, you're not riding your bike all that much. I mean, you're putting in decent weeks, but I mean, it's not like you're going and riding 200 plus mile training rides or anything really, really extreme. It almost feels like you have a really strong mind or you're pulling from past experiences, but like, how are you going into a race like this from a mental perspective? Well, that's it, right? I think we, we, uh, we experience life and experiences and then we use that for our future self or, or our present self wanting to be whatever we want in the future. Right. Well said. I like that. So, um, yeah. So because of past experiences, the races that we've been to, like Silk Road this year was no joke. Like I was the one thing I feared in my entire life was to be sick where I couldn't move in the middle of a mountain in the cold and just, you're just exposed in a different country. So that happened this year at Silk Road. So I was like, all right, if I got through this, I can probably get through a lot of these bikepacking events. So Silk Road, I was really, uh, I really grew a lot in that race, even though I didn't finish because that's where I started being really kind to myself and really enjoying the scenery around, you know, around where I was, where before, like I said, it was just, let's get this result, you know, and, um, and, and that just wasn't working. You know, you can only do so many results. And then after that, like, what are you in for? And yeah, when, when you, you'd when probably you, burn yourself out the same way you did with road cycling. Maybe I'm just guessing, but right. It's just like, I mean, what, it, what is this? What's here? What am I doing? Like you need to find, um, yeah, if you're feeding your soul, if you're feeding yourself with these experiences and they're going to be a lot more enriching, a lot more rewarding, and you're going to want to keep seeking those out. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so Silk Road, the day before the afternoon where I just chose that I wasn't going to finish the race, uh, cause I just too much stomach issues and vomiting and stuff like that. Uh, I made sure that I enjoy that moment the most, uh, being on top of it is like, mountain that you could see forever and just taking that breath in and being okay with letting that race go is, you know, putting yourself in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So you really think you attribute a lot of, um, 
your your ability to do these races and to perform from past experiences, whether they be successes or failures, but just, I mean, we're all on a path. We're always growing and learning. And the more of, I, of one of my favorite quotes came from, uh, uh, K light, carry from K light. Uh, he said, knowledge is very light and I recommend you carry as much of it as you can. And a lot of that comes from like our, I mean, it just comes a lot from experiences, you know, like what we have. So do you, do you just think you've like gathered just so much, uh, just experiences that you can walk into one of these and know, know yourself pretty well and feel pretty comfortable there? Well, um, yeah, yes. Right. Uh, and I think again, I've done all these races and I've been around the world racing bicycles, not bikepacking stuff, but and then, well, now bikepacking as well. Um, and we know we're mentally strong again, but still like how I go back to how much, how much are you loving yourself? And again, and that was like, that was God sent for him. He's like, Hey dude, like, all right, man, you had a really rough year and you're in this experience. So now what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for a result? Are you doing it? And I was like, no, I'm doing it to grow, doing it to personally grow. Um, and be, I didn't know what that was at the time, but it came to me, to me eventually where, where it said, like, you, you got to love on yourself and that's growth. If you don't love on yourself, you're not going to grow. Right. So it doesn't matter how many books you read and how much, you know, research you do on mental toughness, you know, just meditation all this you know spiritual side if you don't love on your truly love on yourself like it's just you're just words on a piece of paper yeah so yeah. being out there uh just like they just they did that for me yeah well is is forgiving yourself a part of loving yourself you think <laughs> absolutely um there is definitely lots of doubt and and if you're not forgiving yourself, that's where the doubt comes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, because if not, there, there's no reason for you to, to not forgive yourself, right? It's just that doubt that you have. Yeah, you let it. You can let it grow. I think. Yeah, that's another thing that can be hard to do is, yeah, forgive yourself. You know, have a little bit of grace with yourself. We extend it to everybody else, but sometimes it can be hard to to just show yourself a little bit of love and a little bit of grace. And I don't know why we do that. You know, uh, maybe not everybody's that way, but I definitely experienced that in my life where I'm just, it feels like you're just giving and giving and it can be hard to remember to really like take care of yourself and yeah, love yourself. Well, like, I you mean, know? sometimes like we beat up on the people we love the most. Right. And that starts with the, you know, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your family, like your immediate family. And then like the last part, like you, you're, probably the meanest to them. And then the worst is to yourself that you don't even think that you're doing. It's probably just a reflection of whatever. Yeah. I think, I mean, what you said, I mean, if you love yourself, if you're taking care of yourself, then you're just in a better position to, uh, send that outward. You know, if you don't yeah. have it inside, you can't really like send it outward probably. And this was all, this is all like loving myself. What I used to believe it was, was being selfish. Mm. Right. describe the difference what's the difference between being selfish um, and loving yourself well when it's all about you you know and whenever i start thinking of myself i start loving myself with whatever it is right a, a, 
a meal or you know a gift, whatever that is, right? I was like, man, why am I buying this for myself? I could be buying something for someone else, right? <laughs> so um, that's what I used, you know, relate as being selfish, right? It was like, hey, I'm I'm just buying something for myself, and it's for me, and this for me, and and I just had trouble with that. Like, I would rather give than than take and have. But then I was like, all right, now I'm running out of this giving <laughs> because I haven't been giving myself anything. Yeah. You're like, I don't got anything left to give. <laughs> I got nothing to give, bro. It's all gone. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> there's a, <laughs> you can't sell from an empty cart. You can't give from an empty cart. You know, you've got to yeah. have something there. Yeah. So, and it just be, it becomes a routine of, yeah, I, I do this, I give. And then when you're so good at giving, it doesn't even cost you anything, but yeah, well, you don't think it does until you like realize that. Good, good twist at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize the toll it takes. Wise words, Ernie, wise words. So what, one thing I'm going to, we're going to shift. Uh, I mean, one thing I learned about you, I remember the first time we met in uh, that bike shop in Arkansas, when we first interviewed uh, is you're, you're a gearhead. I mean, you really love getting the bike dialed. Uh, that's part of the fun. I think it's part of the fun for a lot of us. But uh, so talk about your race setup this year. Um, yeah, let's hear it. So race setup this year, I was on a rodeo laps flanimal um, by luck, actually, because my I was going to ride my my old bike or And then Scotty let me borrow her flanimal. And I was super excited. So I wrote rodeo laps flanimal, which is incredible bike, the titanium um oh the, uh, you rode her actual bike yeah i rode her actual bike <laughs> okay okay <laughs> i didn't realize i thought y'all both uh both had one so that's cool i forgot and y'all are the same y'all are the same size so y'all wear the same clothes you wear the same yeah <laughs> I, actually sometimes i do but i'm not the same size i'm just like i'm like five inches shorter than she is i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> not quite half an inch <laughs> um yeah, so I had a uh, um, Rodeo Labs. Then I had Tailfin Rack, which is incredible. I have Apadura Frame Bag, and it was pretty. It, it was pretty empty. Like there, there was there wasn't any anything there. I know that when I uh, when I do these bikepacking events, I'm I'm not very organized, so stuff doesn't go back exactly where it is. So I needed some room this time and. I had this huge bag and I was like, this is perfect. You know, I can make a mess in my own room in here. Yeah. So, um, so I let that be because I put a smaller bag and I was like, yeah, I just going to get the room. It's not much heavier. And then I had a, um, a front arrow roll and an Epidura water bottle bag. So that, that was like my outside gear. Um, and then the other stuff was as light as it could go. What about uh, what tires did you run? And and some someone asked if uh, what tire and insert were you running a tire insert? I was not no tire insert at all. So I okay. was really I mean those Pirelli tires held up amazing. Um, we had uh, the uh, yeah I didn't get one flat one flat on the tires, which is saying something in Arkansas. Yeah, uh, and then had uh, there's a uh, guy that supports us here session wheels. I mean if those wheels were amazing too. I did break a spoke, but that was my fault. I was, uh, it, that was second day in. So I was a little loopy and I was just cross shifting like crazy. And <laughs> yeah, it's all mistakes that were made by me. 
How did you, uh, you, you cross shifted your way into losing a spoke? Did it like the chain go into the wheel Basically, or what happened? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a bummer. What did you just take the spoke out or did you throw another one in? Well, no, I was, uh, I had to go to a bike shop. I was lucky. Uh, I was, uh, near Eureka Springs. Okay. And, uh, and there's a bike shop up there. I called the guy. It's a pretty funny story. I called the dude. I'm like an hour out because it's not that far distance, but it's just a climb, you know, past Beaver Bridge. And then you go up the mountain. Uh, I call him, hey, dude, are you open? And he's like, no, but I can be. So like, what do you need? Like, well, my spoke broke. It, it was a day off that day or whatever. Yeah. So I try to fix it. I have this, um, this pretty cool, it's a, it's a string spoke where you attach it to the, I don't know if you guys heard of it, attaches to the hub. Yeah, describe it. I've heard of it, but you go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And then you pull on it and it gives the tension and it straightens up the wheel. All right. You still want to get to a bike shop. So you get it fixed, but I couldn't get it to work. I couldn't, it was the spoke broke on the drive side. So it, um, you know, I just couldn't get the spoke that that was broken on the inside out of there. Uh, so I rode up to the shop. And he's like, call me when you get in the, like closer in the town so I can meet you there. So I called him. Uh, <laughs> I called him while I'm riding into uh, Eureka Springs. It, and it's still it's a mountain town, so you're going like two miles up. Uh, and I said, hey, dude, I'm almost to your shop. He's like, okay, I'm just going to go home, make a sandwich. And then I'll, I should be right there. Um, <laughs> so I get to the top of the hill. I call him again. He's like, hey, are you cool? Are you going to meet me? Because I'm going to get in and out, right? Um, so he's like, yeah, I'm eating my, I just started making my sandwich. Dude, <laughs> I, I got to his shop like 10 minutes later. I called him again. He's like, Hey, where are you at? It's like, I'm about to finish my sandwich. And he's like, then I'll, <laughs> then I'll be there. And I was like, well, come on, you got to hurry. So, um, I'm like, whatever stuff happens for a reason. Like, I'm just going to charge everything, you know, in, uh, on his outlets outside the place. So, Hey, is this that bike shop in Eureka Springs? that's like, it's like in somebody's house or something. Yep, that's it. I know that guy. He fixed <laughs> one of my bikes. Yeah. I went on, uh, it was, I think it was my honeymoon, like way back 2018, 27. I don't remember. And uh, I had some kind of mechanical. He wasn't open, but I have to give the guy credit because it was, it was his day off and he still came in. And I think it was a, oh yeah. I remember what happened. I backed up, the bike was on the back of the, uh, you know, the bike rack, I'm back and I was backing up and the tire barely clipped like a tree I didn't see. And so it kind of bent the wheel and he like retrude it for me. So yeah, as long as he's not making a sandwich, he's pretty reliable. No kidding. So <laughs> <laughs> he finally gets there and I'm like, Hey, you know, can I like the plugs outside aren't working? Can I plug my stuff inside? Um, while he's fixing the wheel there, he's like, yeah, no problem. So I hook it up. <laughs> There's nothing's working like five minutes go by and I'm like, I'm messing with every outlet. And he's like, Oh, I haven't paid my light bill. Sorry. Whoa. I know. It's so, funny. Like, I don't need did it. You, did you not, did you not go somewhere else? You just like hung out. Yeah, and I go, I mean, yeah he was, yeah, he was yeah, there. I did go somewhere else. I went across the street and tried to plug it across the street and I got like five minutes, but yeah. yeah, that's hilarious, man. That's funny. Yeah, I know that guy. Small world. Benton, he's amazing. 
Yeah, there's only one bike shop in Eureka Springs. So once I started thinking about it, I'm like, I know who this guy is. Yeah. What about your, uh, what was your sleep strategy uh, or your sleep system? Like, what were you planning for sleep going into it? So sleep, uh, I wanted to do between a two and four hours of sleep, um, just depending on how I felt. So the A first- day or over the whole thing? No, 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 a day. A day. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah, one, one, yeah, uh, one, two, four hours, just depending on how tired it was. No more than four hours was my, my strategy. Right. And, then, and minimum two hours. So, um, you know, I made, I made the, uh, yeah, kind of like my timeline of where I was going to go. And it gave me about eight, you know, four days, eight hours. So by doing two to four hours of sleep. So um, the first night was about an hour and 30 minutes of sleep. Um, the next night was about the same one and a half, maybe, I think maybe two. And the third night, third night, uh, I didn't sleep actually through the night. I had some mechanical issues with my light. My light was just not like staying up tall and it was just drooping. Uh, the, uh, I, uh, well, long, yeah, long story short, like my, I, I forgot a charger. <laughs> so I forgot a charger where I, I didn't think I was going to need it, but because I was riding all night, I had six batteries that I could swap for my front light. Um, I didn't take a dynamo hub. So, um, I was just, you know, counting on cash batteries to charge everything, but I was six, you know, six batteries. I'm should be fine, but because they were on all night, uh, like sometimes full blast because of the gravel roads out there. Um, they just, they just didn't last. So I had to buy a light in Bentonville. Um, then we got put on, you know, we put it in the front and then it started just kind of falling. Uh, so that really, you know, really messed up the, the that next night of where I was going to be sleeping. So, um, I made it to, I was like three and a half hours off that time because it's messing with the light. So I slept. I didn't sleep all that night. So it was more than 24 hour ride. Um, and I got this, I took like a nap, like an hour and a half nap again. What, what were you actually sleeping in? What was your sleep system? So the, uh, the first night I slept, it was just a sleeping bag and a bivy. Um, when I first stopped the first night, I was, uh, I just basically didn't take my shoes off. I just got, I knew I was going to sleep very little. Um, and just, you know, if you're uncomfortable, you're going to wake up when you're, you know, when you, you know, when you're, when you're ready to go, not ready to go, but you're going to wake up sooner than if you're comfortable. So I just left everything on, got in a sleeping bag, just lay down on my bike, uh, set my alarm for an hour and a half. So sleeping bag and a bivy, that was my sleep system. The, that's the first night. The second night I got, um, I got to, uh, Fayetteville. And, 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 uh, and I just got an Airbnb there. Oh, nice. Yeah. That Too was bad good. they don't charge by the so, hour, you know? I know that would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> you spent $500 for an Airbnb to sleep for two hours. <laughs> no, it's not that much. You know, I'm just exaggerating, much. but you know, with all their cleaning fees and everything, it's like, Airbnb has been in the, about that. Dang, I better check my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Airbnb's been in the news lately. I guess there are a lot of their like uh they're having a lot of vacancies and stuff because people are getting sick of paying all like their outlandish fees for 
It's like you, first you got to clean their. It's like, hey, do the laundry, make the bed, do the dishes, and then we're gonna charge you two hundred dollars for a cleaning for fee. A cleaning it's like, yeah. fuck you, man. <laughs> fuck you. Uh, yeah, and then you then you took a nap the next time. So uh, so yeah, let's. Uh, I'm curious about this epic battle on day one between you and Kuya. Uh, did do you know? I'm sure you know who Kuya is now. Did you know who Kuya was before the race? I had no idea who this Kuya was. <laughs> nah, he's he's such he's a super cool dude. Uh, the. Uh, was it? I, I mean, I didn't know if it was epic. I wasn't like paying attention to the dot. Was it epic? <laughs> it looked epic to me. I mean, okay. so from my from a dot watcher's perspective, first off, off Kuya, he's been on the podcast. He won uh, my East Texas Showdown race, three hundred eighty miles. Uh, he averaged like sixteen miles an hour. He had he did the whole thing in one shot. I think he had less than one hour stoppage time over three hundred and eighty miles. And it was his first, uh, first, uh, like gravel race, I guess for him, it was a gravel race for other people. It's a bike packing race. So just depends <laughs> on how you do it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the furthest he'd ever ridden was like 120 miles and he's a road racer from Austin. And so we didn't know who he was either. You know, he showed up to my race and he just, I mean, he just laid it down. And so then I see signs up for the high country. I'm like, all right, Kuya, let's see what you got. I mean, the dude is a strong, strong rider, so but a thousand strong. miles He's is so a thousand strong. miles. Yeah. And I was curious to see how it would do. But yeah, so from a dot watcher, you know, it was you and him that really you know, day one kind of went off the front and had a pretty good gap. It looked, and dots are never super accurate, but it looked like y'all were going back and forth and maybe you weren't um, because I know how the dots are and they're not like always super accurate. So from my perspective, it looked like y'all were in a pretty tight race. Uh, but what was your perspective of that? So I saw him, uh, yeah, probably 12 hours into day one. Um, I went up to Queen Wilhelmina to get some food because Rich Mountain was closed. and um, when I got, when I got back on track, of course, um, like I started going and I see this one guy and I'm like, what? And then I get a text from, from some friends like, Hey, you're in second. I'm like, They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. What are you talking about? It's like, apparently there's a guy in front of you. So it, it got me like, I was like, what? There's someone here. Um, so yeah, so it got me going. I mean, I was really grateful that he was there because it made the race the first couple of days a lot of fun um and he just kind of kept me on track maybe not stop working in my head you know yeah. so he was uh, so i met him we're going uh i roll up to him i catch him on uh like on a downhill a false flat downhill and i catch up to him on the little roller and i'm like hey what's your name i'm kuya and i'm like well, where are you from I'm like He's like from Japan. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. But I live in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so we, we just chatted for a bit. And then he was so strong in the climbs. He just took off, you know, and then I would kind of roll over the top, catch him on the descents. Um, and then it, gets, get, it started getting pretty dark. I think this is what helped me. I don't know if it did or not, but uh, to kind of scare him a little bit. Um, so we're riding together still, you know, side by side in the dark and, you know, in the downhills, I would get in the front and the uphills, he would get 
Yeah, he would go up to the front. So um, there's one downhill. I come around him and I'm messing with my lights because I started going faster. So I'm trying to click them. I don't know if it was luck or, you know, or you know, good luck or bad luck, but I hit the light one too many times and it went pitch black. So he was sitting on my wheel with his light really dim because mine was big enough. Then all of a sudden, everything went dark. All right. And I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> so I start hitting it. I turn it back on. So we're going probably 15, 20 miles an hour on gravel downhill. It it feels really fast. Oh yeah. Especially so he, at night. Yeah. I'm just trying, I'm like, I slow down a little bit. He comes by me and he's like, Are you one of them crazy people? And I'm like, <laughs> Yes, I am. Of course I am. So that I think that made him a little timid and he gave me a little space in the downhills. And um then that's where I was like, all right, you're mine. I know where to get you. So I really pushed it on the downhills. Um, cause I knew he was so strong on the climbs. So kind of, he was way stronger than I was on the climbs for sure. Um, so I tried I've to heard push. he's a really strong climber. So coming from you that that's really saying something. Yeah. So, but the downhills I could get them and I try to hold my speed a little bit more on the climbs just so I can kind of get, uh, um, distance from him. Uh, and it worked out after the first, the first night, actually, no, like it was the first two days. So by the end of the third day, you know, um, Jay Peterberry kind of, he's, he's our mentor for bikepacking. Um, you know, it's funny. I texted him. I was like, dude, I just want to impress you. And he's like, don't impress me, bro. Just impress yourself. I'm like, oh, great. Wise man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Impress yourself. How much were you paying attention to? I mean, obviously, it's good to have someone kind of to to race against. But um, was your your goal was to do four hour or four days, eight hours? That's that's an FKT. How much were you aware of like what was going around you, and how much were you just trying to like stay in your own race pace, focus on your own goals? That's um. Uh, the awareness of around me wasn't as much just because I know the course, you know, fairly well. And, um, so it was more, like I said, it, it, it was more of my pacing and just talking to myself, you know, um, that, that was the work that I, that I was out there doing. So for that, yeah, like I said, I knew I wanted to go four eight, I did a 14, so I was pretty close to the goal, but it was, uh, but it was mainly because I was, like I said, just being with God and like talking to myself and being really spiritual. I mean, I had, I mean, I had a going down Poto Mountain. There was, there was so much stuff that happened to me. So going down Poto Mountain, the backside, I got side swiped by a truck, uh, by a pickup truck. So it was, oh, it was coming up, it was coming up the climb. I was, I was descending. Um, this is like huge truck. I barely, I skimmed my helmet on his rear mirror. And then I'm railing, I'm railing the side of the truck, right? Um, the guy doesn't even stop. He just keeps on going like a bug hit him or something. Uh, so that happened. Then I had, and I broke a spoke. My, did my, you, my hold on, hold on, hold on. You just, you're just going way past the guy on the truck and the side okay. swipe. I mean, I want to hear the details. Did you come off your bike or did you, did your road racing experience, you just like nudge the truck? Exactly and, what, yeah, that's what exactly what happened. It's like being in a criterium going down this gravel mountain and I'm like leaning on this truck. I went from the front of the truck to the back of the truck, just on my elbow in that truck on like the side of a mountain, uh, <laughs> you 
you know, on a gravel mountain. So it was like, yeah, it was pretty, pretty insane. That's I was nasty. pretty lucky. What, what, what caused that? I mean, was it a lack of visibility? Was it an, an aggressive driver? Like what, what caused that to even well, take place? It's a really narrow road coming up that mountain. So, okay. but he didn't even move over a little bit or stop. He just kept on rolling. Like if there's no one there. Yeah. So I yeah. shifted, you know, corrected as much as I could. Looked like I got in front. I got on the, the, the right side of him. Um, but if I would have gotten, I probably would have gotten kicked by, by a rock or that would happen. I'd be probably uh, in the front of that truck and nobody would have known. Like there's nothing out there. It's the middle of nowhere. You're yeah. lucky it wasn't a dually, you know, and then you just <laughs> ramp off the side. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, there was no room for a dually for yeah. sure. No, no, man, that's fucking crazy. So then after that, you broke a spoke, then what? Yeah, so broke a spoke, um, Denton fixed it. He's like, hey, man, you tighten the cassette. I, want, I don't want to be at fault for this. So I tighten my cassette. You know, a day later, my cassette falls off. <laughs> um, so like, and then, you know, I lost my cash battery. So I had to buy two more cash batteries and then forgot that charger, special charger for those lights. So there was a lot of stuff that was just happening to me. So just trying to stay positive, you know, and on track, um, with Kuya being behind me, that really made a difference because that, that kept me focused on the task at hand. And, you know, I think if he wasn't there, I would have gotten a little lazy, um, so in the first two days. So he, he, he really helped me to stay on track. That yeah. was like being part of the race. Right. And being aware of that. Um, but for the most part, it was, it was internal. Once you get to day three, it becomes all about you anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't, after that, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. It's just like, you're it's you against you, right? Like there's. Exactly. Exactly. So that's pretty much what happens day three. So I got to work and like just staying positive and just loving myself and then just talking to God the whole time. And he was like, dude, I, I've been here this whole time. I'm guiding you and, because you don't love on yourself and you don't see that I'm here and you know, you're not, you know, you feel alone, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, man. So, uh, obviously, I mean, the results incredible. Ted King is the, you know, he came out, I think it was 2020 and he set a, a time of four days, 20 hours. You're at four days, 14 hours. Um, where are there areas for improvement here? I mean, is this, are, are there, are these the things we're talking about, the small things here that happened? I mean, that you can tighten up. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, or I don't even know if you tighten them up. I mean, shit's going to happen. Right. Yeah, so exactly. Like, you know, and that, yeah. I think that, that is the, you know, one of the, the other things that I learned was shit's going to happen and then you got to just be patient with it. So everything that would happen, every single thing that would happen, it was like, it's for a reason that this happened. It's for a reason that this happened. And you never, I never got stressed about it. You know, I might, maybe in the moment, like, just, oh, dang, whatever, you know, just, I can't believe this is like, but it was, it didn't stay. It didn't, I didn't like live in it. It let yeah. it go. Right. 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 I let it go. And, uh, all right, what, what do I need to do with the task at hand? And that made a big difference. Yeah. Uh, this neck brace. So, uh, this, this is the question that everybody wants to know. First off, it was not a giant roll of toilet paper on your arrow bars. A lot of people thought that was toilet paper. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. A lot of people did. So that wasn't toilet paper. Um, 
but I, I don't know the story. Uh, did you get Shermer's neck? Did you know this was going to happen? When did the neck brace come into the equation? Let's hear it. So, um, yeah, when I was going into its springs, I came through Bentonville going into its springs when I came and got that light. Uh, Dylan at the media really helped me put that together. So when we got that on there, the light was just too heavy in the front. So I started changing my, like my, how I was looking, you know, like my go-to was create, you know, take it easy on the climb, build momentum over the top and go as fast as you can on the descent with a, uh, and that's why I was going through light. Your lights really quick. Cause I was, I would do the brights and, uh, and just take off down downhill. Like if I was on the road, like they like those lights are amazing nowadays that you can see forever. So, um, so that light was too heavy for that front mountain that I had and it started just falling. And by changing that whole night, me trying to fix that light, I was really straining my neck. So just by changing that little bit, um, it just, and then my derailleur messing up. So looking down a lot more, just changing uh, like how much I was looking down started messing with my neck. So it was more than, more than I was used to. Right. So that wasn't, that wasn't part of the training that I did throughout the year when I was on the bike and the aero bars. I would look up and I was very, very little look down. So when you start exercising that muscle more than it's used to, then it starts getting a little fatigued. Um, so, so you never that, had, you never had this, uh, issue arise before. So you weren't even expecting it necessarily. Yeah, we've had, we had it before we had it at Silkert the first year we did it. Um, okay. yeah, we had Shermer's neck. Um, so yeah, so I had experienced it before I knew what it was. Um, yeah, I so just then what was your, cause my understanding of Shermer's neck, I was just reading about it. Um, and actually just for fun, I looked up the history. Anyone who doesn't know, I didn't know what it was, but Shermer's neck was actually discovered. It was a new medical condition that wasn't even known about until 1983 when Michael Shermer, uh, who was racing the Ram couldn't hold his head up over 2000 miles in any fashion, like this crazy contraption that, Oh wait, no, <laughs> that wasn't him. He just put his head on the he just did this, like he put arm his rest, hand in, yeah. on his armrest and like, but since then, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, James Hayden, like, you know, tape his head and and we've seen other athletes uh, do this. But my understanding of Shermer's neck is that you only have about an hour or two after you kind of start noticing it before you really lose a lot of your strength in your neck. So, so you, how quickly did you realize what was happening and then, and then what happened? What did you do? So I, I didn't. Um, I realized that it was happening whenever I was going into its springs that, that night, leaving, uh, you know, Eureka and all, and you know, through that whole section. Um, I knew it was going to be messed up, but I wanted to keep on rolling. So um, I just like, all right, I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know how soon it was going to happen. It's bummed, like I'm bummed out that I still have like another two days to go before. I Actually, it was a day and a half to go on my time schedule. So I was hoping they would happen in the last 24 hours, not that middle part. <laughs> um, so I guess I was hoping for it and because I was hoping for it. Guess what? I got it sooner than I wanted. Right. There you go. So it's like you manifest whatever. <laughs> and asking then, you shall receive. Asking you shall receive. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I get it again, uh, with Springs sleep there for a little bit, hoping that it's going to go away. Um, I take off. I do feel better because I've been straining my neck. Um, cause I slept about an hour and a half and with, um, got going, 
then it really that night it really came back because I was uh it was already tired and my posture and my habit that I had for that from the night before I was already straining that plus I was really tired that night so um so I stopped a little sooner than I wanted slept before Greenbrier going into Greenbrier I was riding the aero bars like if I was a sale I was just sitting up as much as I could I was yeah starting to lose faith that I can make the the, the FKT you know I had 160 miles to go with 21 hours and at the pace I was riding at the time, I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it, you know? So um, just because of how I was sitting with, with my, uh, with my neck. Then. So when did you get the, uh, when did you get the neck brace? Um, so this is again, when I was like, uh, I got it in con, where is it in, uh, Conway, no, not Conway, not Conway, no, in uh, Mayflower. No, Momel, Momel. I got it in Momel, Momel Walgreens, sorry. It's just it's a blur. That's okay. Yeah, yeah I Momel, mean, I'm sure the whole thing is a blur. <laughs> yeah, I'm Yeah, I'm riding down, and I, I text my buddy, and like, hey, man, you you worked for Ram before. It's like, he's done a, an event with someone. He's like, what do I need? He's like, neck brace. And I'm like, cool. So I get, uh, we get to Walgreens, I get, I go in the store, and I get a neck brace. And it's not enough. It's not holding my head enough. So I had the neck brace, toilet paper on my roll, on my arrow bars. And then it's like, I'm like, hey, it's just, it doesn't feel like it's enough. So I grab my rain jacket and then strap, uh, put it over my helmet, strap it with duct tape around my head, strap like belly, and then I tie it to uh, to my saddle. So then it was perfect. It would just keep my head up. But um, it wasn't allowing me to move very much. <laughs> so it started messing with my hip. But I had to take it off. But yeah, I think there might be a video out there of me doing that. I really want to see that. I want to <laughs> see that. So how much How much were you actually using the neck brace? Did you not wind up using it that much? Um, I used it. All your neck needs is a little bit of breathing room. And you can go a little further, right? So I, whenever I would start feeling it coming back, I would put it on. And then let my neck relax, but it was really hard to breathe. So I was, that's why I was taking it on and off. Okay. Plus it was like 95 degrees in Little Rock at that time. And oh, having that neck brace. Yeah. It's with a three days into an event. I was not liking that. So. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, insane. So I only use like my, my rain jacket and the duct tape around my forehead for about 12 miles. Um, just cause you know, it was so uncomfortable. I couldn't move around. That had to, I mean, yeah, all those little things just take time, you know, I mean, trying to, I mean, first, like trying to rig it up. I'm just picturing you like <laughs> rigging up your rain jacket while you're like sitting on the bike and trying to like adjust it and make it work. And then it doesn't work and you got to take it off. And it's just, uh, it's that's bike pack racing, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here, I don't know here. Uh, oh, you got a video? Oh my gosh, dude, that's so epic. Please, please, please send that to me. That <laughs> is so good. Yeah, that, so you, that was uh, to the extreme for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, always, you, you can, right? Like you get duct tape and you're like putting it around your, your head and then you're like, well, okay, what's next? And then you just start making shit up. I always say, so you want to be a bike pack racer. This is what it takes, man. You got to sleep in outhouses. You got to yeah. duct tape your head to your body sometimes, you know? And you have to 
put duct tape around your forehead. And I mean, I guess that's what it takes to be Ted King. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it takes to be Ted King. That's exactly right. So uh, let's see here where we're at on my list of notes. Um, man, I'm doing good. I've asked a lot of these questions. So you've been a, you've been a cyclist and you've competed at a high level for a really long time. Um, what, what are your goals now? Like in, in, in your race career, like what are you hoping to accomplish? You just had a, I mean, this is a big race. Uh, Ted King's a legit strong rider. You just took his FKT. What, what are you, what are you, personally hoping to get out of you know maybe your career as an adventure uh bike racer endurance race racer um i i didn't know i was gonna have a career or had a career i'm <laughs> just doing this, doing this <laughs> maybe you don't and maybe that's the answer too no, or are you just having yeah. fun yeah no i mean like after after putting a race together like that and you know just um getting what you want out of it and then the results shows for that uh you wonder like oh can i can I do this again? Can I ride at that level? Mm-hmm. You know, John, John from Renee Harris was that on the race as well. He did the 500 and the first day he comes up to me and he's like, so you do this for a living? And I was like, no, I really don't. It's just for fun. He's like, well, why not? And you should. So, um, and I was like, hmm, good thought. And that was the start <laughs> of the race. <laughs> so that kind of motivated me a little bit. Um, he was uh, he's a super cool dude. For sure. Yawn. Yeah. Yeah. Yawn. Yeah. So, I mean, did that unlock, uh, you know, and I, I mean, same way Scotty put the idea of coaching in your mind, you're like, huh, maybe I could coach, you know, you win a race, you have a, a great race and there, you, you had some bad luck, some misfortune. You, you just had bike pack racing where things are going to have come up. You're going to have to overcome those things. Um, and you did. So yeah. Does that unlock something in your brain where you're starting to think a little bit more about like what you could do in this space? I, it did. It really did spark, um, some more interest in that. Can I better for a few more years? And, uh, and like, like you asked earlier, like, why'd you leave cycling? You know, well, maybe I haven't left it. It's back. Yeah. You're back, baby. You're back. I'm happy you're back. Yeah. No, it's definitely a thought. And uh, I'll see what, what comes out of it. Like my, again, working, keep on working on myself now outside of those really hard events. And then, but what I, I mean, I would really love to take people on a really hard event like that. Right. And just be there with them and kind of walk them through. Like Scotty and I started, we started, we had no idea, but we really helped each other you know, get to that next level. Um, she actually, she's helped me a lot. Like I didn't think I would ever be riding a race like that alone. And you know, that, that, I was always scared of that. So yeah, she really was a good kick in the pants. I know she's, she does. She's really good at that. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all do. We all need a kick in the ass sometimes. So she's well, coach. you're only, you're only a week after, uh, after coming off the FKT. So we'll give you a little bit more time to uh, think about what the rest of your life looks like. But I mean, it's exciting, man. I'm excited for you. You've been out there four times. I know it's your your home turf. So to be able to go out and lay down a good race and have it all come together is just, it's freaking awesome, man. Especially, it's it's rewarding, dude. You put in all this work, not only like on the bike, but off the bike and you're able to, to have a good result. And, and that's the payoff, you know? And so I'm happy for you. Yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, it was, 
like I said, I went into the race wanting to get, you know, deeper into myself and, uh, and I found that. So, and then I found that with the help of God. So that was, uh, it was amazing. Dude, I, while we were talking, I think I've already come up with a title for this episode. I think we're going to call it Ernie Lechuga Finds God and an FKT on the Arkansas High Country. And that's what it takes, you know, the, the last, when I get to, when I got to Walgreens and I'm trying to put this thing on my head and it was 120 miles to go and I have Shermer's neck, you know, and now my hips hurting. I've been crying that whole from Greenbrier to Mayflower, two of my juniors show up and they're super excited. They're like little puppies, you know, running around <laughs> wanting to hang out with me. And I'm like just falling because I, I don't think I can break this. I have, and like I said, 160 miles to go, you know, 21 hours when you're going that slow, like there's just no way. And on top of that, there's this headwind just like in your face. So you're upright like a sail trying to keep your neck straight, you know, into a headwind, no matter what direction I went, it just seemed like it switched. So when I get to, um, when I get to, um, a mom out to get that neck brace, my buddy's like, you want the good news or the bad news? And I'm like, well, just at this point, I don't care. Like, you can just come <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm still like just bummed out in this race that I'm not going to, you know, get the FKT. Um, and he, and he, he's like, well, good news is you have, you know, 19 hours and he just gave me that and i was like okay um what's the bad news like the storm's coming your way from that direction so i had i was going north headwind east headwind northeast headwind and the storm's coming from the west so i'm like okay god like come on bro like you like you've been with me this whole time like we're so close and it's almost like you said do you have faith like i'm like and i'm sitting there now I took one of my shoes off and I'm, I'm bleeding because I had a blister on the top of my foot, put my shoe back on. And it's like, I have faith. Let's go. So I get on my bike, start rolling, having the 15 minutes of neck brace and my tape, my head taped back. When I get go through, this is, I'm going through Little Rock. So I'm uh, going over the big damn bridge. And I've been, I landed in Little Rock 2004 and, all my people were there. They're all my old friends, you know, people that I've coached, they're all there supporting me. They're all super pumped. They've been watch, not watching, you know, so that I feel that energy and it's almost like, okay, I think something's happening. You know, the, uh, the wind shifts, the storm like goes West again. I get this freaking tailwind and I start rolling like my neck doesn't it's not bothering me anymore at the time. Um, like my legs just like they loosen up. And I think just from being around all my, all my friends in Little Rock and like, you know, having faith, you know, I'm, I get out in Mau Park and God's like winks at me and says, told you so. Go, go get it. It's yours. I got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, go get it, but it's still not going to be easy. I told you if you wanted it, you, you can have it, but how hard it gets, like, it's going to be hard if you really want it. So from there, my derailleur almost fell off. <laughs> this is like <laughs> hundred miles ago, right? My derailleur almost fell off. My shifting got all whack and my derailleur was just, it had two threads before it fell completely off. Um, into Sylvia, my 
battery uh, fell out of my aero bar, fell in, hit the front wheel, the front tire. It bounced into the woods. And I'm like, just, I was like, what the hell? Like, come on, bro. So he's like, just have, keep on having faith. So I lost um, my bat, like uh, my DI2 battery died 10 miles to go. So it was like, I was still getting tested all the way until the end. Just to remind me, like, do I have faith? Yeah. No. There's another quote I've heard. Uh, I never said it would be easy. I only said it would be worth it. Beautiful. I love that. You know. So tell me, how did it feel? Uh, how did it feel at the end, both physically, mentally, spiritually? Like any, like how did it feel to actually finish a thousand miles on the high country and have the FKT? How, like physically, felt my ass was killing me, man. <laughs> I was so sore, my neck, but everything, everything hurt. Right, yeah. everything hurt. I think Ted King's puts in there like the only thing that doesn't hurt is my scalp. Well, my scalp was hurting because I had a tape. I had taped it. <laughs> So everything hurt. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, to, to go in, to go into a town like that and just have people that there, there was a, the, the 250 mountain bike event. Um, and then there was a 500. So there were some people that were already finished and to just end up with people that you don't know, but they still feel like family because they just went through something really hard. You know, it's just incredible. You find, find community, you know, and from there you find the love. And then when you find community and you find the love, uh, the, uh, you feel at home, you know, you just feel at home. So it felt amazing to finish in hot springs. And I mean, I don't really know anybody in hot springs, but it felt like it because, because of the, the community that was there. Was it emotional? Did you cry? Did you drink a beer? Did you celebrate or did you just go take a nap? Like what, where no, were you so at? I did stop and uh, I did kind of gave them, you know, my experience out there and uh, for sure. But I drank a beer. Like I, I told myself when I finished the high country, I'm going to first thing I want is a beer. <laughs> you I, earned that one. Yeah. But it didn't taste very good. I was like, what the hell? Are we, it taste good. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, so it, um, yeah, had to be half a beer, but apparently I did not remember this. I downed like half of the champagne <laughs> and, <laughs> and then the mayor of hot springs was there and like, he, he just traded me for a Coke and I was like, Oh, I, I, I forgot about all that. I was, <laughs> yeah. Different yeah. Place. You weren't there. You were I like not a there. different place. How long, uh, what was, what is recovery like? Like what kind of state and how long, I mean, you're probably still in recovery, but what were the days after the, uh, the high country like? So the next day wasn't bad. Uh, next day I was surprised on how good I felt. I wow. think the body, it hadn't hit the body yet. Okay. The day after that and like the four days past that, geez, like everything started getting swollen. Like my hands got really bad. Uh, yeah, so it, I'm still recovering from that. It's a week out now, a little over a week. Um, and I still pick up a fork and it falls off my hand. So that's crazy. Now you start to think about like tour divide or something, right? And you're like, oh okay, God, <laughs> no, I'm just saying a general, uh, here I go. But like, 
you think, I mean, it's just crazy because you said, well, my body hadn't caught up to the damage that I had done, but if you're out there for two weeks, it's going to catch up to you. And then how do you, how do you, I, I just, I'm still blown away by, you know, those two, three week efforts, you know, like going for like four or five days, just full out depleting everything. It kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, I can, I can gut it for four or five days. I can go on little sleep and I'll pay the consequences later. But it's those, when you get into like multiple weeks, you're like, I don't even know how that's possible. It's all super, superhuman, but. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Um, it's always superhuman. You gotta have faith. Um, the, uh, you're, when your mindset is on go, you don't, you, your body, you, you keep your body going. Yeah. Right? You keep your body going. So whether it's two days or even, you know, you're a 350 mile race. If it's just that, right. Um, you know, you're going to be done. And then you have this residue of fatigue after that. But so every race has different strategies for sure. On how fast you go, how much you sleep, you know, depending on your body and how you feel that day. So you kind of let the race tell you what you're doing, but when your mind's on and you have focus and you're racing and you're on an event, even if you're not racing and just experiencing or just gone out bikepacking for you know, 10 days or just right across the country, your mind's like in that go mode. So it's not until you stop when your, your body's like, all right, man, you've been killing me for like a whole week. And now what do I do? Recover. Right. And it starts recovering. And that's when swallowing and all the other stuff that the body amazing for, you know, it starts recovering. Such a good point. Yeah. I didn't, that's such a good point. I think, um, our bodies are very adaptable. And so if you're asking it to, whether it's 300 or 3000 miles, you're like, this is what we're doing. And then, then you, then you recover after, but yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, congrats, my friend. Um, not only on the race, but I'm just, I'm happy for you, man. I'm happy. It seems like you're in a good place. You've been on a, a good, you know, a good path of like taking care of yourself and working through uh, your own personal journey. And and we all have to do that. And it's not always about the bike racing. And um, you said it, man, the bike is a place for self-discovery. It's not just for discovering the outside world, but also like our inside world. And I appreciate you sharing your story uh, with me and the audience. And and I'm, I'm happy for you, man, on, on all levels. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. We'll go out there and uh, I guess pass on some of those good vibes to some other people and we'll get more, more good results like that and more good positive stories out there in the bikepacking world. Absolutely, brother. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Ernie Lechuga. What a stud. I'm so glad we were able to to get him on the podcast and really happy for him and his efforts and his ability to snag that FKT, get that monkey off the back. And I'll, uh, I'll be curious to see what he does next see what kind of fire this lights underneath him, And, uh, yeah, can only expect good things from him in the future. All right. Well, next week's episode is to be determined. I still have the, uh, bikepacking report that I did on the lowdown. I need to kind of wrap that one up, but we got a lot of exciting things happening. We got the AZT going on right now. We got the bikes or death takeover coming up. And we have an ITT going down on the showdown route. Stephanie Hall is going to be doing an ITT soon. I don't want to give away all the details yet, um, but we're going to be 
following her dot here in a couple weeks. And she is going to be taking on the brand new showdown route. It's about 400 miles and she will be the first person to ride it. I wanted to be the first person to ride it, but I, unfortunately I'm just too busy, too many trips, too many going and doing and podcasting, uh, which is great. And, uh, just coincidentally, she DM'd me not too long ago and told me she was also planning an ITT. Uh, so lots of good stuff coming up, lots of good potential podcasting that I want to capture. So I don't know what it'll be next week, but I promise it'll be worth tuning into. All right, well, let us wrap up today's episode and get it out to all you beautiful people. Sorry I haven't been doing quotes the last couple of weeks. I'm gonna get back into it. Again, if you have a quote you'd like me to read or if you'd like to submit your own quote, just send in an audio file and email it to bikes at bikesordeath.com. I love a good quote and I'd love to hear some of yours. All right, well, thank you all so much for being here today. And until next week, don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night You grabbed your knife and you held it tight The sounds of beasts kept you awake The sounds they made kept you afraid In the morning you packed your bike Memories forgotten from the previous night You rode faster than ever before Was it your imagination? Merely folklore. Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death. Podcast. Oh,